0: Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning, and we're very glad you're here. I extend a special welcome to those of you who are visiting with us this morning. If you care to, please fill out a visitor card. You'll find it on the back of the pew in front of you, and it will give you our electronic announcements every Friday. No one will show up at your home. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there is a spark of the divine in every human being, and it is in that heritage that I say, let us greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Please say with me the words by which we light our chalice. In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to
1: seek, to find, and to share. These words are by the poet T.S. Eliot. I said to my soul, be still and wait without hope, for hope would be hope for the wrong thing. Wait without love, for love would be love of the wrong thing. There is yet faith, but the faith and the love are all in the waiting. Wait without thought. For you are not ready for thought. So the darkness shall be the light and the stillness the dancing. People wonder
0: what is at the center of this congregation where there are people calling themselves unitary universalists with roots in Christianity, Buddhism, Hinduism, humanism, earth-based traditions. What is it that holds us together? Several things. One of which is our mission, which we say together every Sunday morning. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. As we prepare to open our hearts to hear the reading and have a time of meditation, let us all breathe together into that place in our heart where we are who we are. As we breathe into that still place, we can listen for God as we understand God, or for our own inner wisdom, or we can just breathe and be grateful to be alive. We open our hearts today to those who are ill to those who are fearful. We hold in our hearts those who are in harm's way because of war or natural disaster. We hold in our hearts those who have money troubles, family troubles. We hold in our hearts those who are joyful today, and we are glad for them. It is here in the silence that we can find clarity, that we can know from moment to moment whether our job is to alleviate the suffering that is right before us or add to the joy in the world by enjoying our lives. Prepare to listen to the words of wisdom.
1: This is <clears throat> this is from the poet Cahil Gabran. But if you love and must needs have desires, let these be your desires. To melt and be like a running brook that sings its melody to the night, to know the pain of too much tenderness, to be wounded by your own understanding of love and to bleed willing and joyfully, to wake at dawn with a winged heart and give thanks for another day of loving, to rest at noon hour and meditate love's ecstasy, to return home at eventide with gratitude and then Sleep with a prayer for the beloved in your heart and a song of praise on your lips.
0: Let us continue our meditation with the Buddhist loving kindness prayer or Metta meditation. We say this through three times. I'll say a line and you say it after me, should you choose to. The first time through, we say this for ourselves May I be free from danger. May I be mentally happy. May I be physically happy. May I have ease of well being. The second time we hold someone in mind that we love and we say it for them, may you be free from danger. May you be mentally happy may be physically happy may you have ease of well-being the third time as a spiritual exercise we say it for someone against whom we have a resentment it's important at this point not to look around May you be free from danger. May you be mentally happy. May you be physically happy. May you have ease of well being. Someday I'm going to be such a good person that that's going to be easy. I hope. So, this is our last segment of the series on the Buddhist Eightfold Path. It started last year, and at the beginning of the first sermon, I asked you if you remembered that old Hollywood a Buddhist movie from 14 years ago called The Matrix. It was um, a movie in which our hero wakes up to the knowledge that his life was an illusion, and that he had literally been sleeping through his life, entertained with phantom ideas of a job and relationships, a dream of work, none of which were real. He joined the community of other people who were awake and began living in real time. So... The first part of the Buddhist Eightfold Path is that, to wake up, wake up, realize that life is an illusion, and that um, you are called to understand that it is a beautiful thing to pursue happiness, yet everybody is pursuing it wrong. Um, you are called to understand that there's suffering in the world and that suffering is caused by this grasping after happiness in the form of a better job, better pay, better relationship, better car, whatever it is that you want. You think, if only I had whatever, Um, if only I were rich, if only I were skinny, if only I had my muscle tone, if only I had my whatever it is, then I would be... Happy, you're called to understand that is not the way things work. That is not what brings happiness. So, grasping that thing, grasping at things that pass away, is a sure path to suffering. And so, what Buddhism offers in its Eightfold Path is a way to train oneself to live with grace and stability and equanimity, and to make one's living in a helpful way, and to hold one's heart open to the suffering and the joy of others. So we've talked about right understanding and right livelihood, how to make a living the best way, right speech, how to speak in a way that creates health and not harm. We've talked about how to behave. We've talked about um, how to be mindful, even though I told you I'm not very good at it. We've talked about it anyway. And now it's a how-to question. The very last element on the path is right concentration, and it is a very technical element on the path. It's a how-to element. And and our hero in the movie becomes so good at it. He trains his mind to be so present. I like calling it present-mindedness, I told you, instead of mindfulness. He trains his mind to be so present that he he can, in the middle of a gun battle, see the bullets coming at him, and he avoids the bullets in slow motion. It's not really in slow motion, though, because you know how bullets go. They're like too fast to see. I hope you don't know, actually. But uh There's a huge tangent just beckoning. Come on. No. So even the bullets going as fast as they were going, they were no match for the concentrated one-pointed mind of our hero. So he had plenty of room to move to avoid them. And so that's what we're going to talk about today, present-mindedness. And you will be able to leave here today and dodge bullets and walk between raindrops. I wish. It'll take a little more training than just one day. So the eighth element of the path is the element that teaches you how 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 to train your mind. And we're just going to practice it for a second. Not a second. It's going to take longer than that. But we're going to practice it for 10 breaths together. So, sorry for the people who are watching on video later. um, There's nothing to be done. You're just going to have to breathe with us. So, we're all going to breathe 10 breaths. It doesn't have to be exactly. Don't worry about this. Don't let anybody's anxiety get triggered. We're just going to breathe together and try to just count your breaths. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. That's all your brain has to do. And if you find yourself wandering, we'll talk about that later. Or just gently, you know, you just gently, you don't go, oh, curse you, you're wandering. You just gently invite your mind to come back to paying attention to your breath. Okay, here we go. Breath one. I'm going to stop talking now. Did your mind start to wander? Everybody's does. The Buddhist teachers call the mind monkey mind. And they say that it's like a jungle full of monkeys swinging from tree to tree. And then another teacher says, no, that's not right. It's a jungle full of drunken monkeys swinging from tree to tree. (laughs) So as soon as you sit down and invite your mind to be quiet, it starts flopping around like a fish on the dock. It starts making lists of things that you have to get done and starts arguing with what you're doing. Why are we doing this? This is too much quiet. I can't believe this. makes some people mad. We should get our money back for this Sunday. Had to sit and listen to ourselves breathe for 10 times. That's crazy. When I was a therapist, I used to invite my clients to breathe 10 times with me. And one lady said, I'm not doing it. And I said, that's fine. You don't have to do it. I'll invite you to again. She said, if you invite me to again, I'm quitting and finding another therapist. I said, wow, can you help me understand what the resistance is here? She said, I just don't want to spend that much time in my own mind. Okay. Okay. So it's a very simple, very difficult technique to train your mind to be this one-pointed because your mind is going to try to do anything else, pretty much anything else. Or, you know, it's tricky because your mind can go, oh, this is great. This really feels wonderful. I'm never doing this again. I know you have a tricky mind, too. It's not just me, right? Or you go, I'm going to do this every day, and then you skip a day, and you go, oh, well, I skipped a day, so I can't do it anymore. We have all kinds of tricks. Sometimes you get rapture while you're doing it, and the Zen teachers say, breathe, just breathe. And one student said, oh, Master, I just... I have such rapture and bliss, I'm caught up to the seventh heaven, and I'm, he said, just keep breathing and it'll go away. <laughs> Master, I'm having a vision, I'm seeing a golden Buddha, and he's smiling at me, just keep breathing and it'll go away. Because the goal really is not rapture, the goal is equanimity. Focus, sturdiness, discipline. It's to be able to be calm, that's your goal, to be able to be compassionate, to be able to be deeply happy, to be able to have your mind feel warm and loose and ready instead of uh, kind of stuffed and pushed and snappish. Your mind might tell you, as mine does, that feeling stuffed and pushed and snappish is um, really the root of your creativity. And that if you were too calm, you wouldn't be able to write anything else. This is a lie. I know you knew that, but it took me a long time to figure that out. I still try it, though. So equanimity... It's when you can stay focused and kind. Even though your bank account has crashed, even though you've just had a bad diagnosis, even though your beloved is not doing well, you can stay sturdy. That's hard. But that's what it's for. So, these are not all the benefits. In the 90s, they began doing brain scans on people who meditate. Yale, Harvard, MIT, those are people who are studying mindfulness-based meditation. Jon Kabat-Zinn is the main voice of those people who are making these experiments. And here's what they found out. The gray matter in your brain thins as you age. It thins. Used to be they thought there was nothing you could do about it. Now they find out you meditate 20 minutes a day, your gray matter thickens again. Your brain actually produces more brain matter, the same matter that thins as you get older. And, in fact, in older people, the thickening is more pronounced than in younger people. So the benefits of meditation are even more pronounced in people who are older. And if you don't care if your brain's thinning, then all kinds of skin conditions also improve more rapidly. (laughs) If it's the outside you care about. When you're doing this meditation, you do medical treatment for your skin conditions, of course. You don't just meditate. But the ones who were meditating and doing treatment Got better four times as fast, talking skin now, um, as the people who just uh, did the treatment and then sat for 20 minutes a day just thinking thoughts of their own. So just sitting and being quiet with your coffee or in your bathtub or patting your cat or whatever, um, it's great for your blood pressure or whatever, but it's not as good for your creating new cortex. It is this... Counting your breaths kind of meditation. There are different kinds of meditation too. Um, So sitting still is one of the ways. Sitting still, you count your breaths. You don't count all the way to 400. You just count to 10 and then start again. It's not a a competition to see how many you can do. See? You just do, and then you'll find yourself surreptitiously counting your sets of 10. You don't have to do that either. Just count to ten and let it go and go back to one again. And if you lose track, it's all right. Go back to one again. If you have lots of thoughts, it's okay. Just invite yourself gently to go back to one again and feel your breath coming in and out. Other people, see they talk about full mind meditation and empty mind meditation. Other people uh, look at a candle as a way of meditating. So they look at a candle and that's a way to focus their attention, or you look at a spot on the wall, or uh, other people fill their mind with a prayer. So there is a, a, in the Christian tradition, there's a prayer called the Jesus Prayer, and that is a prayer that people say over and over and over and over and over and over. Or you can do a rosary, you say different prayers over and over and over. Or you do a Buddhist mala, you've seen the beads on someone's um, hand, you can do different Buddhist prayers for those beads, or I just use mine to help me remember to breathe deeply. If you want to do empty mind meditation, you sit and you breathe, and you picture something like a field of snow or a calm, still, glassy lake or an ice hockey rink and something that is smooth and Clear, And then as you start having thoughts, just imagine yourself with a little broom, just sweeping the thoughts off of the thing, whatever you're picturing, just getting it back to glassy, snowy, icy, whatever. Those are different ways to do it. Sometimes people, uh, transcendental meditation used to give you a mantra. They would give you a couple of sounds to say, Um, you might still have that one if you ever did transcendental meditation. Or you could just use a word that you like, like thank you or shalom is a good one. Om is the very first, most ancient one. You could say ice cream if you like that one. Whatever word that you can just live with, over and over and over, to give, it's just, it doesn't have magic in it, it just gives your mind something to do while you're sitting still. Other people do walking meditation, because sitting still is just not possible for them. So you walk, and you give your mind something to do by feeling the ground on your foot. Thich Nhat Hanh talks about walking meditation. You feel your heel, and then the middle of your foot, and then your toes repeat Repeat, repeat, until you've taken your walk. That's walking meditation. And it is hard. It's like exercise, you know. It's harder at first, and then you get a rhythm going, and you miss it if you don't do it. We have a group that meets every Monday night. You'll see it in the announcements in your bulletin. They sit together Just as a way of having a touchstone, you sit with a group of people. That some people feel adds to your experience of sitting in silence. Um, I really am going to do this any day. I have been saying that for a while since last time I did it regularly. I thought, I'm just going to let this go for a little while, and then I'll come right back to it. Um, it's only been 10 years. I'll start again any time here. And I want you to know that this path is not anything weird. This path is part of our Unitarian heritage. It goes back to Ralph Waldo Emerson, Henry David Thoreau, people who were reading the Buddhist and the Hindu texts back in the 1800s. And it is from those texts that our people got this meditation technique and got the idea that everything has one soul, the calm soul of all things. Got the idea that everything is connected. Got the idea that you can live correctly without believing that there is a divine being watching you, being either pleased or displeased with you. It is from these ancient texts that our forebears in the 1800s got this and added it to our tradition. So, I'm not going to really say that if you get really good at this, you'll be able to dodge bullets. But I am going to say that when you practice meditation, you can see the bullets coming better. You can see the bullets of uh, the story that you tell yourself about a thing that just happened. You can see the bullet of your habit of watching other people to see what they think of you. You can see all the bullets of how you yourself, who you are, add to your own suffering. You can see the bullet of, you know, this is how this person always acts, and this is how I always um, forget how they act, and so I get hit by the bullet every single time. When you spend time in quiet and meditation, and get some clarity about who you are and about what's going on, sometimes you can just trust somebody to be themselves, and you can look forward to them being themselves again. And so in that way, you dodge the bullet of them being themselves again. See what I'm talking about? There are lots of bullets that come at us every day. And a mindfulness practice, this ancient practice, way older than bullets and help us get some clarity and slow things down so we don't get hit quite so often. Let us say together the words by which we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Remember the way of the wind and breathe and blow. Remember the way of the fire, and sparkle and glitter and glow. Remember the way of the
1: This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu.org.